This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jota, Dundalk and Cavan. Order your new 221 Renault today from our extensive Renault range. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. School's out for Barra. We can change the words of the song. Yes, I hope you're enjoying your day off. School little people out there today and parents are coping. Anyway, she's blown out, hasn't she, at this stage in the northeast? have to tell you, I woke this morning about five o'clock and it was calm. It really was. And about an hour later, I dozed a bit at six. You could hear it starting to roar at that stage and through the morning... I think the worst of it's over now. Anyway, hope everybody was safe and sound. I did see an ESB poll down near where I live, I have to say. But uh, hopefully there hasn't been too much destruction. They got the belt of it, certainly. Cork, Kerry and Clare, that is for sure. A lot of houses without electricity down there. Hope they're uh, back on power soon. But anyway, we've come through Barrett, looks like, in the northeast at this stage. If you've anything to say about the storm or you lost anything or anything blew away, let me know. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. Or if you want to call in, it's 1850-715-958. I am so grateful for the Christmas cards. I really am. Another ball of them into me this morning. You're fantastic people. In case you don't know what we're at here this Christmas, I'm supporting the Gary Kelly Cancer Support Centre. They have a wonderful range of Christmas cards. You can support them by buying cards and send them to people. People have said to me, the card tradition is gone. By God, it's not. And I want to prove that it's not gone. And you're proving it to me because, you see, if you send me a Christmas card here to LMFM Radio, I'm returning one personally to you wherever you are make sure you include your name and address with the Christmas card and I'd be delighted to send you back a card I've purchased them to support the Kelly Centre and I'll send one back to you I promise you just some of the cards I got today what a beautiful card came in uh, this morning from Kathleen Byrne with Our Lady and the Baby Jesus on the front I, it's just it just touched me that card I have to say Kathleen a lovely one too let me read the message on this one to Jerry and Louise wishing you and yours a very happy and peaceful Christmas thank you for all your hard work throughout the year. I just love listening to you when I get the chance. Always such interesting shows and keeps us informed of what's going on in the local scene. I'm not a techie person, so I say to people, yous are my Facebook, my Instagram and my Twitter. That's where the others seem to get all their news, but I get it from you folks. Yes, you can't beat the old-fashioned radio. Take care and stay safe in these strange times we're living in. That comes in 
from Anne in Cullen this afternoon and thank you for the donation as well that will be passed on to the Gary Kelly Centre and another donation as well today from I'm not asking for them people have just put them in voluntarily just send me the card that's all and I'll send you the card back I'm supporting the Kelly Centre in that way from Betty Betty McIntaggart lovely Betty and many more besides Danielle and Ruby Byrne sent me cards Cathy Crinian who was on with me last we got a lovely card Ella and Colm Hagen from the Knoll Caroline Gillespie and so on and so on they go LMFM Radio Rathmullen Road Drogheda Jerry Kelly Late Lunch will get me with your cards keep them coming between now and Christmas I just love receiving the cards and I will send you one back. Now we begin today with a man who's part and parcel of late lunch. We thought we'd let him go, but like a boomerang, he's come back to us. And for a very special reason, as you know, because COVID is roaring through the uh, community again and a new variation of it, Omicron. Professor Paul Moyne, thank you for joining me again today on the show. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good, Paul. Just latest news, I don't know whether you've seen it before we came on, about in the last couple of hours in the UK, Boris Johnson and the team over there, confirming that Omicron, it looks like it's more transmissible, Paul, and that will be an issue. But I take it, the, the big question here and the big answer everyone's looking for, the effectiveness of the existing vaccines against Omicron. Are you hearing anything more yourself in your community? Yeah, probably waiting for the, the results to come through on that. I know there are studies being done on that at the moment. So the type of studies that would be looking at, so as you say, it probably does look like it's more transmissible. Um, and that could be due to a number of reasons. One, it could be just due to the virus has changed that it infects our cells more efficiently. Maybe it's bypassing some of the immunity that's conferred by a vaccine or prior infection. To, to do those sort of studies involves taking that, growing that variant, you can actually grow the variant up in the lab. You can actually infect cells in the lab and then compare to see if it's more efficient at infecting those cells relative to some of the other variants, for example, like the Delta variant. And then what we can also do is we can take blood samples from people who've been previously infected or vaccinated or have just received the booster. And then in the blood, you have antibodies because the vaccine has been given and raise antibodies against the spike protein. And then you'll ask, can those antibodies neutralize the virus? In other words, stop the virus from infecting the cells. So those studies are actively ongoing. And I would expect that in the coming days, we should see the first data on that. But that will tell us if, if it can bypass some of our immunity. It, it may be the case that it will bypass some of the immunity because one of the worrying things about the Omicron variant is the fact that it's got a number of these mutations, over 30 mutations, in spike protein. And the spike protein is the part of the virus that allows it to infect cells, attaches to the cells and infect the cells. But it's also the part of the virus that our antibodies tend to recognise. So if some of them have changed, maybe some of the antibodies that we've raised against the Delta variant, maybe some of them won't work. Some of them probably will work. But then we've also got another part of our immune system, which is mediated by cells called T cells. They're the cells that get rid of the virus that were infected and it's very, it's much more difficult for, the, for any variants to bypass that immunity. And for that reason, we're, we've seen some of these mutations before in different variants, and the vaccines are still really working really well in terms of protecting us against serious illness. And it's because of that, that T-cell immunity. And I would expect it would probably be the same with this case as well, hopefully where the vaccine still will protect us against serious illness. 
Paul, I've had a, a good belt of, it's a flu uh, thing I have at the moment uh, and I'm on antibiotics, actually a second uh, dram of them now at this stage uh, and I was tested uh, for COVID, not, not COVID but it's you know what we would have been used to before COVID came and I did get my flu jab as well but can I ask you this, this has crossed my mind if you are COVID positive and you know when we get a bad flu or uh, something like that, we're told to rest, drink plenty, uh, keep warm, um, you know, and then some. in some cases, like myself, antibiotics are needed. When you have COVID, is there anything in the form, I know the new pills are coming, uh, the antiviral pills, is there anything in conventional medicine that helps get through where you don't have a serious illness? Not really up until now, Jerry. So very early on and throughout, you know, the pandemic, Various antivirals have been assessed, but most of them have shown very little effectiveness. Um, that seems to be changing now. There are two drugs, one that has already been approved in the UK from Merck, another one called Paxlovid from Pfizer. They're showing, especially the Paxlovid uh, compound, that's showing very good results with respect to decreasing the rate of hospitalisation if you present with symptoms and you take this within three to five days of symptom onset. Uh, it reduces hospitalisation by up to 90%. Now, that's the first drug that was tailored and specifically designed mm. to target SARS coronavirus 2. So that's showing a lot of good promise. But prior to those two, Jerry, very little steroids helped to an extent in terms of dealing with some of the later phases of the disease in terms of you know, inflammation in the lung. But up until this point in time, really most of the treatments have been uh, ineffective. But obviously the vaccines then have been the game changer there in terms of triggering our immune system to give us some protection against not only infection, but more importantly against serious illness. I think I mentioned to you last week about, you know, the, there's certainly been alarm with the, with the Omicron uh, onset. Do you feel, let's talk about an Irish context, and you know the restrictions have, we've rolled back a bit from the uh, situation we were in only a few weeks ago. Has there been a little panic in political circles? It probably has been panic, probably for a number of reasons. One is around this time last year, you know, we were when things began to open up, and this is when the Alpha variant from the UK arrived, and there was a really high spike uh, in December, January time. And I think that scared a lot of people. I think there's a reluctance there in terms of, uh, and especially government, in terms of making decisions that. It could turn out to be maybe not as prudent as they should be in terms of being, you know, very cautious about things. So I can certainly see from that context. But on the bright side, I would probably look and look at the science and what we would expect based on the biology of things. So there are two things that is worrying about the variant. One is these mutations that may suggest it may transmit better and may evade some of our immune system. And also the rate of growth of the numbers in South Africa it became the dominant variant very, very quickly. But the context there is that it had just come off a delta wave, so it wasn't really competing with other variants. And also, the background vaccination rates were 25%, whereas we have over 90% of our adult population vaccinated. I think these vaccines still will protect us, at least against serious illness. So with that in mind, I think we, we need to be cautious. We need to have our surveillance systems working really, really well. But I don't think now is certainly not the time to panic. Um, and even some of the reports, anecdotal ones, more than in actually the scientific body of work, tend to suggest maybe that the symptoms aren't very severe and the effects on serious illness aren't very severe. But again, 
it's too early to be definitive about that. So hopefully you could have a variant where it ends up being more transmissible, but potentially not as virulent or as causing a severe disease. But a lot of that may be due to the fact that we're protected by vaccination and hoping the vaccines will continue to work against that variant. When you look at a continuum from where this started at the beginning of 2020 and to where we are now, and we will shortly be two years into this, I've been reading some commentary saying, well, we're really only at the start of this, or other people are wondering, are we in the middle of this? Will there be an end game down the road? Can you put that in perspective for us? Yeah, I certainly don't think we're in the early stages or the middle, but I think we're towards the the end stage. But it, it's sort of somewhat indefinite in the sense that viruses like this, at the pandemic phase, it arrived with us. We've never seen it before. So you see, well, our immune system hasn't seen this before, so the consequences can be quite extreme. And you've ended up in saying, you see the number of people who've died from this. But with vaccination especially, but also with the high rates of infection. Our immune system protects us against, in some cases, new infection, and more importantly, against uh, serious illness. The virus then gets to what we call an endemic uh, stage, and the endemic stage is where the virus continues to circulate. You may see peaks of it. This is coronavirus. Coronaviruses tend to be seasonal, so you will see peaks of this. And at all stages in our lives, irrespective of whether we're vaccinated or not, I think we're all going to be exposed to this virus. Most of us will be protected, and the outcome from the individual really depends on your state of protection when you encounter the virus. And for most of us, we'll be, have a really good p- protection because of the vaccine, in some cases because of prior infections plus subsequent vaccination. And I think that's what's going to... So eventually you will get to the stage where because of that protection... Yes, we have these breakthrough infections. Despite vaccination, the virus can still infect people. But because you've been vaccinated or because you've seen the virus before, this protects you against serious illness. And I think that's the stage that we get. Like there's some suggestions that the other four coronaviruses that cause the common cold that we wouldn't be too concerned about. But at some stage, they probably jumped this species barrier from an animal into humans. And that, that, that when that took place, we don't know really when that was. But again, it was probably something similar to now. But then as years went by, it became less and less. Not so much because the virus has changed, but because we remember because of the vaccine and we've seen a little bit of the virus before or because of infection. And it's that that gives us the protection. And you sort of think it disappears, but it hasn't really disappeared. It's just that the symptoms have become less severe because your immune system is protecting you against that serious illness. That's uh, reassuring, I have to say, and it explains it very well in, in, in the context of, of where we are today and where we're headed. I don't know whether you saw it last evening, but I stayed up to watch Professor Dame Sarah Gilbert give the David Dimbleby lecture on BBC. Did you, did you happen to see it, Paul? No, no, I didn't, unfortunately, Jerry. No, I was uh, reading about it this morning. Actually. Yeah, it was late. Now, it was late and, and I stayed and, and watched it. And I have to say I was fascinated. She's a fascinating woman. Just for listeners, this is the lady who developed the first vaccine at Oxford University in England and then partnered with AstraZeneca uh, to bring it out uh, and uh, make millions of doses. And then, of course, others followed as well. Uh, the interesting thing is, Paul, I, I suppose from, from your perspective, and and the people in the research area as well. She said, you know, that we knew something like this was going to happen. We were all well aware, but it wasn't a priority. The money wasn't there. The emphasis wasn't on it. But what has happened, and she went through it, in a matter of months was just 
unprecedented. And she said, this is the point, there will be another one at some stage and we don't know when, but we must learn from this and must never under-resource this area of life again. I take you'd concur with everything she says. I yeah, strongly agree with that, sir. I strongly agree with that. Like, if you look at, even in terms of from a research perspective, a lot of the major discoveries, even though the arrival of the vaccines is within uh, 12 months of, you know, identification of this virus, something we got vaccines. But a lot of that was based on really fantastic science and research done over maybe decades. Mm. Uh, it's the same, these antivirals that have been identified now, the antiviral from Pfizer, that was based on the scientific publication back in 2003 from the first SARS outbreak. And so it's specifically targeting a protein that is in the SARS virus that's also in, in this virus as well. So it's really important, like basic research, absolutely. But sometimes I think we pay a lip service to, you know, the likelihood of future pandemics. Could be absolutely another pandemic with a virus. I think something to really watch out for is antibiotic resistance. We take antibiotics for granted. Like it wasn't that many years ago that if you got an infection, maybe with surgery or whatever, and, you know, be pre-antibiotic ear, you know, you small cut in your finger, you could end up dying from this. Mm. So, and we take antibiotics for uh, granted now, but now antibiotic resistance is becoming a major, major problem. And in some cases, and against some certain bacteria, there's only a limited number of antibiotics that work. If they become resistant to those antibiotics, suddenly you're exposed to a bacteria where we, we have no defence against in terms of antibiotics. So, and again, that is not an area that pharmaceutical companies tend to focus on, mainly because it's not very profitable. Um, so that is something that we have to look at. I think there has to be sort of more, you've seen how well public-private partnerships work in terms of creating these, these vaccines, a lot of public investment, partnering with the pharmaceutical industry. But now it should be payback as well in terms of a lot of discussion at the moment in terms of vaccine equity and global vaccine equity that the pharmaceutical companies are not doing enough. Some of these companies like Pfizer and Moderna are making enormous amounts of money and charging like really high amounts and so far have refused to waive, for example, their intellectual property. And this trips waiver, I'm not sure if you've come across this, Jerry, in terms of companies waiving their intellectual mm. property rights so as low-income countries could get access and maybe manufacture some of these vaccines. So Definitely, sometimes we take it for granted, we pay lip service to this, but there's no doubt another pandemic could happen. Have, have we learned lessons? And sometimes, uh, you know, you would question that because you would question in terms of these multiple waves that we've seen from COVID-19. Have we learned anything this year, for example, relative to last year? And sometimes you'd be, you'd be a little bit concerned that maybe we haven't learned as much as we should have, even in terms of some of our messaging like this virus is an airborne virus, yet still the focus from a public health point of view, it's still on sort of hand washing and things like that, which is really important, not only for COVID-19, but also lots of other uh, infections. But again, this is an airborne virus. And yes, a lot of the messaging doesn't really get that across. And a lot of the investment in terms of public health and government investment doesn't seem to be in terms of targeting its airborne nature. So, we definitely need to learn. We need to learn very fast and not take it for granted that this disappears and there won't be another pandemic. This is just biology in action. This is what happens. We don't know when they're going to arrive. We don't know when the next virus may jump from some animal into human. That definitely could happen. But antibiotic resistance, I think, is a big thing where 
sometimes you have you could have a situation where you have a bacteria now that we can treat with maybe one or two antibiotics. But if that evolves to become resistant to those antibiotics, what do we do then? So lots of research required in this. So, yeah, we have to pay attention to it, Jerry. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. And uh, just before you go, I just saw that when Omicron was uh, revealed to the world, shares in Pfizer and AstraZeneca and all the others rocketed. So the shareholders, you know what I mean, were the beneficiaries there. But uh, you make a good point about intellectual property and uh, getting to the nations in the world that can't afford it because, as you said to us before, it's a worldwide problem and has to be dealt with right across this globe of ours. Paul, you're fantastic. I really appreciate your expertise and time. Thank you again for joining me on the show. You're very welcome, Jerry. That's Professor Paul Miner there, Head of the Department of Biology, Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. Michael Bublé and a real oldie there with a new twist on it. Isn't it lovely? Oh, such a beautiful singer Bublé is. Just saw a picture of Michael Bublé in New York with a local, Column Nally, former Newtown Blues player, St. Column Kills in Eastmead, pictured in New York City with Michael Bublé in the last few hours. Yeah. What's he doing? Do we know the story behind that? I don't know, but I'd say Bublé knows everything about GAA now. I'd say he's just been... <laughs> he's probably wearing the jersey. He's been, he's been on a coaching course with Colm since and uh, he, he knows about Gaelic football if he didn't know about it before now. That's for sure. We'll well done, Colm. Colm we'll oh, yeah, we'll have to find out. We'll have to find out for sure. Um, what was I to say to you? Storm Barra. Storm story from years ago. Did you ever... You know, that growing up, Louise, at your house or around the area, was there anything really damaged by storm? Did a tree come down? Did the slates ever come off your roof? An aerial, a chimney, anything like that? Anything. No. Well, I'll tell you. I remember being in the hall with lightning, saying the rosary. Yeah, well, you see, lightning. <laughs> I, not, not a big, no. Well, I have to say to you that the weather form I fear most is wind. I think it's the most destructive. I wouldn't mind anything else, but wind is damaging. I remember the slates blown off a roof in 24 North Road. We were there. I remember the aerial being blown down at one stage. All the aerials were nearly down on the street, but one sticks in my mind. Drogheda United, United Park, a relic to old decency is all it is today. Anyway, um, uh, back in the day, the roof blew off the main stand. The whole roof, the whole roof, on the main stand, lifted up. lifted up and sailed right out onto the windmill road on the far, far side well, of the so road. anyone hurt? Oh, Jesus. It was just the grace of God that nobody was. Ooh. It lifted end block up and off. It's a stand of about 500 seats. It's not when big. When was that? Oh, back, I'd say, in the 90s, I'd say. Maybe 80s, but 90s. Out she went, and I'm lucky it was in the middle of the night, up, right out on the windmill road. Now, if you saw the distance this travelled, in block, whoosh, gone. That's how strong the wind was. Yeah. I'm sure people remember that when the roof came off the stand in United Park. It came off another night when Drogheda won the league and beat Cork City. I'll tell you, it came off. but never to be seen again, probably. But there you go. But I remember that one just in the context of Star and Barra today. That was a biggie. It was at the time. I know what that one was. Uh, remember Hurricane Charlie? That did a oh, lot of no, damage, it, it? Yeah, it did. But it was after that. It was after Charlie, for sure, I'm sure. But I remember the late uh, Charlie Hurley, who was secretary of the club at the time. What a great man. And Charlie up on the street. And us incredulous looking at the roof where it landed from the night of the big win. There you go. Nairn Callan was on to me to say uh, I was talking about the storm there before too and a, a story from yesteryear. Today he woke up and the, the roof of the dog box 
came in through the kitchen window with the winds last evening. My God, Louise was showing me a picture as well from Navin of a car that was toppled over by the wind as well. So there have been incidents here and there. If anything happened with you, let us know, please. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text LMFM Radio Bingo. You can win big. Yes, you can. Ask Monica Russell from Carrick Macross. She's €400 richer. And Mary Riley from Carneros. Double that. 800 Mary scooped. Next week's jackpot is 8,400. And don't forget, you can buy your book for next week's game online or from outlets throughout the North East. For more information on our Radio Bingo, log on to lmfm.ie. Now, we move on on the show this afternoon and I'm delighted to say hello again to a very special lady because this woman has done remarkable things in her life for people who are really in need. And at Christmas time, people in need come more into focus all round, and rightly so. Ashling Lowe from the Mead Food Bank is on the line. Hello, Ashling. How are you, Jerry? How's things? Not so bad. Good on you. Thanks for joining us again. Well, look... There's no doubt with you, it goes to the wire at times. You were down to your last what? Oh, Jesus, my last hundred, Jerry. Really? Yeah, really, really. And my head, like, my my nose was covered up, like, with water. All you could see was my eyes. Mm. I was definitely a sinking Mm. ship. I felt a bit like, you know, Jack from Titanic hanging on to the door. <laughs> but listen, listen, you could show him a thing or two. You've hung on to that door before and back up you got and on you march. Just context Mead Food Bank for our listeners today who mightn't be familiar with, with it. You set it up back in what year? I set up the Mead Food Bank in 2017 with my friend. Um, we were doing like secret Santa yeah. type of thing um, before that like you know with donations that yes. we couldn't give on the streets to the homeless mm. um, that were more suitable for, for someone you know that was struggling in a home so me and Sarah we did do our little secret Santa you know where we just drop a bag at a door knock and run away do you know but um, then I said, I think there's more needy people, like, you know, that need help and need. And I, I was starting to be approached by people. Is there any way you could help me with some food? I know it's for the homeless, but would you be able to help me? So it started from there, Jerry, really, mm. you know. Mm. But from 2014, I was on the street feeding the homeless, so... Yeah, it began then, and, and, and with a homeless... But there are people within homes, this is an important message to get across, that are hungry too. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, we have an awful amount of impoverishment in, in County Mead, unfortunately. You know, um, I suppose, you know, the, the cost of living now, you know, with, with bills going up high, like ESB and gas mm. and fuel, you know, it really has hit families hard, you know. And, you know, there's people who are working who have been hit very hard. Yes, very hard indeed. How many people, let's talk about the pandemic, come up to recent times because this has brought a whole new emphasis and need out there as well. How many people would you have helped, say, in the last 18 months to 20 months? I would say over, um, I'd say, I won't say 3,000 families in total. Now, most of these families would would need help on on a a regular basis, depending Mm. on their circumstances, you know? Yes, yes. But um, 
you know, it is. It's hit a lot of families hard. And then plus, you know, people who have gotten back to work. I'm sorry, that's my dog walking across the floor. He's yeah, like right. Michael Flatley. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of people, you know, who would have got back to work and they're, they wouldn't have their full-time hours now. You yes, know, they're only yes. working a, a small amount of hours and, and then people have been hit hard mm. as well, you know. So you're totally voluntary. No one takes a penny out of this. Everything that comes in goes out to people who are in need and that's what I absolutely love about it. Now, you have a wee premises in Navin and there's a nominal rent. You, you do give credit to your landlord there. It's It could be, yeah. if it was a commercial rate, it wouldn't be viable at all. No, it is my, my landlord is, is a very fair yes. individual, you know, and um, is, you know, he's very good. Like, I mean, our, our rent is, is is very yes. good for where we are yes. in Avon. Like yes. we're a market yes. square, so mm. you know, in Clonard House and like that, it's it's like central to yeah. Navin and a majority of our service users will be from Navin because of course Navin's the capital. Yeah. You know. Yep. But we have other areas as well. We cover all areas in County Mead, but mm. we have had times where we've had to go outside of the jurisdiction as well. Yes. And it's been like a humanitarian call, you know, especially um, with elderly persons. They're yes. more vulnerable, do you know, now at present because of the fuel costs. Yeah, sure. tell me the story of the man who rang you. I'll tell our listeners because this is touching. You did get a call from an elderly gentleman outside what you would call your emit, no? No? Yeah, it would be as well, Westmead. Yes, yes. Westmead. Yes. And it was an 80 year old gentleman. Um, who had underlined health conditions, you know. Yeah. And just struggling hard. And um, he had actually been given the number by by um, a friend of his, a yes. lady, obviously, who, who knew he was struggling. And she gave him the number and he contacted us. And uh, myself and my... Um, my volunteer, Nico, who yes. happens to be the delivery person for Petals and Prezies and Navin. Yes. We went to him, you know, early in the morning. I got the phone call early in the morning, but unfortunately I was in work and I couldn't I couldn't go to him then. But a neighbour had given him a bowl of stew to tide oh him over. Oh, my God. That's all he had. I got to him. That's all he had. That's all he had. And, you know, people listening today would think, you'd be making these things up but this is the reality Use, it's just an example one small example but these are cases that you know are out there and are real for people but listen let's get back to the to the, to the good deed here because you were down to your last hundred you had no money to pay the rent you were swinging from the door the water was rising as you said to myself <laughs> and then an angel appeared who was it you had a real good Samaritan came to your rescue I had my next door neighbour beside the food bank at Clenard House, uh, Leon's Cafe. Yeah. He um he he messaged me and he said, Ashley, he said it's you know, it's a hard time for a lot of families and I'd like to do my bit. He said, You work very hard and you help a lot of people. He said, um, I'd like to I'd like to pay your rent for December so you can keep going. Oh my god, isn't that just a gesture and a half? Well you just stay there a minute because Mr Leon Duffy is on the other line. Hello Leon. Good morning, how are you? I'm good. Hi, Leon. Hi, how are you, Ashlyn? Well, I just wanted to bring you on here today to say well done to you because you've kept the show on the road here. I know you've great admiration for this woman and what she does. Oh, absolutely. Like, 
it's the, the fact she, she works full time, she does this on a voluntary basis, which she's in essence doing two full time jobs and getting paid for one. You know, like it might, might you know, hats off to her um, because it, it, like you can do a lot of things voluntary, but this is a very difficult one for anyone to do. Mm. You know, because you see, you see the dire straits that so many people are in. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to try and maybe do my bit. I don't know. I was after putting the Christmas tree up outside the cafe, and I think I went home that evening and seen the post that uh, they were struggling. I said, "Oh, here, look, go for it. We'll uh, we'll help her out." And um, yeah, that was that was it, really. Well, you're a decent, decent man. You really are. Because look, it can't have been easy for you with the cafe there as well, with this whole stop-start last year and the the restrictions, yeah. Leon. Absolutely. Um, like we don't know anything else other than the pandemic. We only opened last year. We opened right. on the 30th of May last year. Right. Slap bang in the middle of it all. And so we had seats. We had no seats. We didn't know which end was up. Uh, yeah. And with a new business, you're trying to figure out how to operate. And every couple of weeks, the goalposts kept uh, moved. So. Yeah, look, to be fair, we, we've, we've done okay uh, yeah. during the pandemic and I thought it would be just good to give some of it back to the, to the locals um, and to those who need it. Um, and and I, have to, I have to thank all the customers I have for supporting me because in turn, I can support Ashley. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm one of them, Leon. You make a mean tuna sandwich <laughs> toasted, I'm telling you, and a beautiful cappuccino. And I've also sampled the waffles, Jerry. It's very nice. <laughs> you know what? You're driving me mad here. Will you stop? I'll be abandoning me, uh, me, me, me chair here and heading for Navin for Leon's Cafe if you, if you don't stop soon. But I know, yeah. Uh, he has a great reputation there and built up in a short space of time as well. Leon, you're really kind and it's it's so good of you to do this and I just wanted to acknowledge just, you today. Jerry, I'd just like to say, say there to Leon, when I first moved to Navin, I had a service user who called to the food bank uh, to welcome me to Navin and he handed me a voucher for a coffee at your cafe <laughs> as a form of thank you and that was the start of our lovely relationship that's a quid pro quo going both ways supported <laughs> by the woman herself Ashling, and now returned uh, in a very very nice gesture at this time of the year Leon I'm going to let you go because I know you're busy then you've stepped out to talk to us Good luck to you and good luck to Leon's Cafe. Thanks very much, guys. Take Not care. at all. Take Bye. care of yourself. Bye. Just before you go, Ashling, and for listeners today, how can people help you? You know what I mean? Donations are fantastic. Is there any other way and how do people get in touch with you there? Oh, yeah. Well, anybody, I'm contactable the whole time on the Mead Food Bank page. Yep. And at this point now, um, we, we're just, we're, we're accepting supermarket vouchers like from Tesco yep. or Lidl or Aldi and what we do then with them is we make up our, our lovely hampers with all the goodies for Christmas and for, for kids and um, we put in a voucher into each hamper so that that family can buy their turkey and their ham and their, their perishable foods. So the vouchers are very important so that's the way we, we operate it for Christmas. Oh, great. So it's the Mead Food Bank Facebook page. Yeah. And I do believe a set of four wheels might help you this evening. You're trying to get stuff out and yeah, about to people we're, in we're need. Yeah, we're in a bind and I know the weather is against yeah. us now, but um, at the moment now I'm sitting here and I have um, Carla beside me, one of my uh, valued volunteers. 
and we're sitting here waiting. We have an abundance of food and there's hungry people sleeping rough tonight in that weather that needs it. So we're looking for somebody out there who could just um, help us tonight. We just need two seats for me and Carlos to sit in, yeah. in the van, and just a van that we can pile all the food in and bring it up to Dublin so it can go out directly to the rough sleepers tonight okay. in the outreach service in Dublin. Grand. Okay, so if anyone can help there, would have four wheels available just for this evening to help with that, and that is the outreach aspect of this as well, to people who are on the streets in the capital city, hungry, they're from all over the country, there are people there from the northeast as well, if you can help. Best way again is it to go on the, the page or have you a contact number? I have a contact number. Go it's on. 083-843-1643. Okay, right. We'll pa- we have that number here off our main number, 1857-15958, or WhatsApp us to 086-1800-658 if you can help at all, and we'll pass on that number. 083-843-1643. That's 083-843-1643 help would be really appreciated you're one star woman happy Christmas and all the best for the new year to you happy Christmas to you and Louise and the team there Helen FM as well Jerry. and I hope this year now there's beans in that tin there, I have your beans oh my god good god good job you reminded me the beans are safe and sound and I am promising everybody I am doing the beans taste test the first week of the new year we're back is that okay <laughs> Oh, it's going to be a windy oh, new year. It's going to be a windy new year. Never mind Storm Barra. Anyway, thank you for joining me on the show today, Ashling. No bother, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. That lady is one of the great people in life in what she does there. She really is. She's unbelievable. And again, well done to Leon Duffy for paying that month's rent and keeping the show on the road. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Welcome to the show. If you're listening to us today on radio, on your smart speaker, online on lmfm.ie or on the app. Download the LMFM app. You can bring us with you wherever you go. Still to come on the show, our own David Sheehan is back. No, it's not Friday. We're not doing the sport. He's written a brilliant new book. A Meath man writing about Dublin GAA. Yes, he's done it and superbly as well. He's coming up shortly on the show, but we have to head off now ourselves and earn a few bob and pay the bills. I had no time to choose what I chose to do. So go easy on me. Adele with her new one from the album 30. Go easy on me. And lads and lassies, will you go easy on Eamon Flynn in Gardner Plant Services in at Boy today? He's only 50. Happy birthday, Eamon, from all your friends and family. Have a good one. You were just saying there to me, Louise, that you think that's Adele's best ever. Yeah? Yeah, I do. I just think that's fantastic. It's a good, really good song. Um, no, do you don't agree? Do you think Adele is an artist for women primarily? Yes. Thank you. Definitely. I think she is. Now, I love her stuff, I have to say, but I'll never forgive her. Why? Oh, I'll never forgive her. Sarah my, <laughs> Sarah, my daughter, and Kieran went to London to see her. She was doing, I think, six or seven shows. They were on the flight over, early morning. She bloody well cancelled the gig. Oh, oh, voice issues, was it? She had voice issues. I'll never forgive her for that. Why? Sorry. Oh, 
fucking hell. She'd have gone on and put on records or something and come out and stood in they front just, of the they crowd. Said, they got a holiday and they? mimed them. No, they and ran they into back. they ran into there was a massive protest in London <laughs> and the streets were jammed with people and they got stuck on a tour bus <laughs> for a few hours. So I don't think Adele is high on their Christmas wish list either, to be honest with you, Miss Adele. But I have to say, I think she is what the way she writes in the songs. She bears her soul. You know what I mean? Her on it's past, about her life. Yeah. And and you know about what's happened to her separation now and all that. That's the, the basis of this album. Do you know any other guys who like her? Like who'd go to her concerts? Would you go like you'd go Oh to her yes, concert? yes, I'd go to see her. Oh no doubt. And a lot she, of lads she has a wonderful would. repertoire of music. But I just think she tugs more at women's heartstrings than men's. Is it because most of her songs are slow? Don't know. Yeah, and if you listen to the lyrics in them and the the, the emotion in them and, and the whole feeling and thoughts and experience behind them, I think it's more from a female point of view than a male. That's just an opinion I have on Adele and her music. You're entitled to do, disagree with me if you wish, but... Uh, Can't see any ACDC fans now. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> <laughs> and the heads the heads going banging with the long hair no no they wouldn't be at Adele no they wouldn't I like her she's a brilliant writer she's smart in that as well but feck her for cancelling that concert that's all I'll say and uh, it's a little crow I have to pick her but surely you, you, when you said play her records like mm. <laughs> I wouldn't say your daughter and son-in-law if to she be, went be too out, impressed no, with that. if she went out and stood on the stage and mimed I don't think anyone would have given a damn just that they were there and she was there with them. You know, or would they? Maybe they would. Oh, yeah. Especially, I say the tickets were But if she had no voice, you know what I mean, and that as well. Anyway, they'll remember that day in London as they were caught up in a protest by, I don't know whether it was the far right or the far left or who the hell it was, but that was the crack about that day anyway. Anyway, she went down my uh, list uh, on on that occasion, to be honest with you. But look, (laughs) her album is flying. If Kylie did that now, she wouldn't go down on your list. Never. So there you go. Never. Never. Different kettle of fish altogether. Mm. Mind you, <laughs> she did cancel in Dublin the last time I went to see her. Yeah, we were to go did to she see go her down on, on your list? We were to go down on the Sunday <laughs> night and she cancelled on the afternoon. No, because you see, we weren't on flights to London or anything like that. We only only up the road. You see, it's different circumstances. <laughs> no protest. Not at all. Kylie can do what she wants. Jerry's one man protest uh, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they just rescheduled and we saw her then and it was fantastic. Anyway... He's uh, done it again. Yes, David Sheehan, he has written a new book, a GAA book. It's all about the dubs and it's getting great kudos. It really is. He is, of course, a sports presenter here on LMFM, presents Sunday Sports and he's with us next. Now, he's turned blue. Yes, I can't believe it. Green and gold runs through his veins and he's abandoned the Royal County and jumped ship to the dubs. Or has he? Yes, our David Sheehan. Out for Christmas it is. And what a wonderful gift it would make. It's called Dublin, the game of my life. And he's on the line. Hello again, David. How are you doing, Jerry? Well, have you? The, the question's been asked. Have you? Have you? Have you left your seed and breed behind? No, no, no. I'm, I'm me through and through, Jerry. That'll never change. I, I, I made that clear to all the, to all the dubs at the beginning that I, that I was a mead man. So if any, if any biases crept into the, the book, they, they could uh, hold me accountable. But, uh, but yeah, look, it was, um, it was something that I was approached by doing about a year ago. I worked with Liam Hayes' publishing company um, for Martin O'Connell's book, and Liam gave me a call around about this time last year, asking me that I want to do the game of my life book for Dublin. And you know, I'm, I'm living up here and. 
sure you know you couldn't really turn it down so many so many great names and look at the end of the day Jerry as you know we're all we're all sports fans and yes. GA fans or whatever it might be so you know you'd, you'd be mad to turn down an opportunity like this so I was only delighted to, to do it you know I think that's always something to bear in mind I've loved all sports all my life some you have preferences for of course you do but sport oh my god isn't it just wonderful anyway here's the leading question I'm sure you're fed up answering this but I'll ask it anyway how did you whittle it down to 25 well that's the thing with with a county like Dublin um you know, you, you've got so many guys you could choose from, but but I suppose on the flip side of that, maybe with some some of the, the the weaker counties, if we call them that, you might have two or three guys that you would really want, and if you can't get them, if they don't want to do it, then straight away you're you're kind of up against it. But with Dublin, you know, there were there were guys, you know, I won't name names, but there were guys that I approached with doing it, and for for their own particular reasons, personal reasons or whatever, they they didn't want to, you know, so. The great thing with Dublin, though, is there's so many lads. If you if you go to two or three fellas and for whatever reason they're not keen on doing it, then the next lad will, and they're all big names in their own right. And and actually, what I found was some of the lads that maybe I wouldn't have thought of at the beginning when I was starting off in this process that you, you get to speak to, and oftentimes their stories are, are are just as interesting or more interesting than than maybe the high profile fellas. So you could do another 25 Dublin players, no problem. Yeah. You know that's the thing mm, about it. there's so mm. many there's so many lads out there. But you know it's great. It was great to get. You know, the likes of Kieran Whelan, um, Alan Brogan, his father, Bernard Brogan Sr., Kieran Duff, Tommy Conroy, Jerry Hargan, Vinnie Murphy, like Charlie Redmond. So, as I said to you there, Jerry, there's, there's another 25 probably yes. plus Dublin footballers mm-hmm. I think you could do. So, it's as you say, it's 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 hard to, 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 to kind of to pick pick the, the 25, but you kind of approach ads and ask them if they're interested in doing it. If they're not, that's fine. You move yeah. on. If they are, great. And um, and then with Christmas coming, the deadline was approaching fast, so I had my head down in a, in a major way from the end of September up, up until mid-October to get it finished. So delighted it's done and it's out now and uh, hopefully everyone enjoys it. Yeah, no, it's been received really well. Do you know what uh, struck me about this? And uh, it's a facet of all the people you've spoken to in it. The detail and the recollections they have are unbelievable. Yeah, and what I found with a lot of them, particularly the likes of maybe Paddy Christie, the one that jumps that jumps to mind. I mean, you have to remember that this, a lot of the games that these lads picked, you know, even Paddy Christie's was was the 2002 Leinster final. I think that's like 19 years ago. You've guys picking games from 30, 40 years mm. ago. So what I found with them was a lot of the time they'll remember one or two little details from the match maybe, but what's more interesting is they'll remember a lot of what went on around the game. Yes. You know, we, we can read match reports and we can see what happened. So you don't necessarily want a player to sort of say, well, I got a point and then I missed a free. And then, you know, you want to hear about the color around the game, what was going on in training yep. in the lead up to games, you know, what was happening in their, in their own lives and the way up to matches. And, you know, Charlie Redmond was one where his dad had a stroke the day before Leinster final in 1995 and he went out and kicked 10 points. And Kieran Whelan was another one in, in his chapter. He was sick for a week before a game. So, you know, it's actually brilliant to get that kind of detail. I, I wouldn't want somebody to just go, yeah, this yes. happened and then that happened and then the referee gave it free. And, you know, you want you want the stuff around the game because yeah. we, we all can see what happened from, from the kind of historical records and match reports. But that, that stuff, that's, you know, detail around the match is is what's yeah. kind of gold from a, from a writer's yeah, point and, of view. Yeah, and that's what I was coming at. Like, the, the recollections of the time of... Uh, and, and you're right. What, what would it mean if you just went by rote, score for score, or, of the game itself? But there's so much more that enhances this book uh, tremendously. The other thing I wanted to say to you, which is interesting, you know, you might think in a book like this that players would think of the great occasions when they won big time. But there's mm. quite a mix in here because there are games, for example, Tommy Carr, the 85 final, when Kerry beat Dublin. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? It, he didn't go for, he could have gone for anything, you know, where they, they, they won or, but he, he picked this one in particular. Yeah, Tommy Carr actually had said to me that one of the games he was thinking of picking was a, a challenge match against, I think it was Offaly uh, early that year where he made his debut. And he said he pulled on the Dublin jersey and it was the first time in his life he'd ever pulled on the Dublin jersey. And he said if there was a mirror in the dressing room, he would have stood in front of it for an hour admiring himself because it, <laughs> it meant so much to him. But he picked he picked that game because he came on as a sub in that Ireland final and Dublin were beaten. But it was kind of him you know, it reassured him that he was he was there and he was making progress and he, he didn't feel out of place, you know. So that was kind of where he 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 slotted in and he, he had he had been in the mix to start that game and he didn't make it, but he actually said in hindsight it was better that he didn't because he didn't have all that nervous energy thinking about the game all week. He came off he came on quite early and he said he played with a bit of freedom. So I think he felt like he'd announced himself on the stage and he he settled in after that. Uh Shane Ryan, I suppose, was maybe the other one that sticks out where he picked the 2006 All-Ireland semi-final against Mayo, which a lot of people would remember. It was one of the all-time classic matches. Dublin looked like they were home and dry with about 20 minutes to go and a man managed to lose it. People might remember Kieran McDonald popped over a point. Yes. Under the Hogan stand. I was at that game. And, I was at that game. Wag, Unbelievable. And, and wagged the finger. Yeah, incredible yeah. game. And Shane Ryan picked that one because when I approached Shane about doing it, he said to me, you know, what are you looking for here? And I said, well, I'm looking for the game. And I was speaking to him on, a, on another station at the weekend. I sort of said to him, I'm looking for the game that stands out most from your career. Now, I suppose I meant it from a positive point of view, but he said, well, the game mm. that stands out most for most for me is the Mayo game. He says, that game sticks out for my career like a sore thumb. So to be honest, I was delighted he picked that match because it was it was such a memorable game. And I was I didn't expect anyone to pick it, but he he went with that one and he went into a lot of detail about the the anguish he felt afterwards and all the little things that he that ran through his mind for for months afterwards, really. So I guess the other thing to come out of it is you just don't realize how these defeats impact lads, you know, and um, mm. we all kind of, we maybe forget about these games in a couple of days, but these players, some of them, they carry it with them for months. So it's, it's that sort of stuff is interesting to me as well. Mm, oh yeah. I'm sure they ruminate long term, especially when it doesn't go the way. It's just not about the senior dubs team because Johnny McGee recalls the Dublin senior final, uh, senior championship final replay in 2008 when Kilmacud Croaks just got the better of Oliver Plunkett's. Yeah, and you know, there's a couple of other, like there's, there's several other books in, on this series uh, from other counties, so one of them would be the Kerry one, and a lot of the Kerry stars actually picked club games as well, so Johnny, I think Johnny is the only one in the Dublin book to pick a club yeah. game, but he had asked me beforehand, was it was it alright? And I said, Johnny, it's, it's up to you, like whatever game sticks out, and that game for him, he was kind of coming towards the end of his career, he'd had a He'd switched to work in nights during that season. And, you know, there was a whole lot of stuff going on in his in his personal life in terms of trying to fit in training. And, you know, he would have admitted himself he would have always struggled to keep the weight off. And you're eating, you're eating at funny times. You're working funny hours. Uh, and then he, he almost walked out midway through the year, even though he was captain. So there was a whole lot going on there. Uh, and again, a brilliant chapter, not necessarily a, a high profile game outside of Dublin that people would remember. But he goes into so much detail around, you know, his personal battles and, and it all had a happy ending for him, but um, but yeah, that was that was a brilliant chapter. There's, there's so many different ones in there to pick from, but that was that was a really good one from Johnny. I mean, I actually dropped the book up to him there in Ashburn on on Friday, and he was delighted with it. So oh, yeah, good it, on it, was, you. it was great. Man, I, I'm just picking here and there because uh, there are 25 individual stories in here. Paddy Cullen, sure, I thought I'd be reading about the time Kerry clipped the ball. He was out mounting to the referee and <laughs> within the corner, and and his most uh, probably forgettable moment. No, Paddy didn't go with that he went for the 74 final uh, when Dublin beat Galway 
Yeah, and he, he saved the penalty in that game. Yeah. And, you know, um, a lot of people maybe would think that, that Dublin kind of came on the scene from 75 onwards when, when that Kerry rivalry first started. But a lot of that team had been around for a few years before that and hadn't been doing anything, really. They'd been at nothing. I think Robbie Kelleher said in his in his chapter that he started playing for Dublin in 1970. And up until 1974, he'd played something like three games in Leinster. They were getting beaten in the first round. I think Loud beat them one year. I think Offaly beat them maybe another year. They were getting beaten um, by teams that you would expect generally Dublin to, to beat. So 74 was a huge year for them. Kevin Heffernan was there. They changed a few things around. They, they got their heads down and... And they kind of won that All Ireland really out of nowhere, and and Paddy Cullen, as you said, made made that save in the, or picked that game because because he made that save in the, from the penalty spot in the in the All Ireland final, and uh, yeah, just just brilliant, brilliant guys. You know, all mm. these guys are, are legends of the game, and they were so good with their time. And a few of them, I haven't gotten to everybody, but I dropped the books up to a few lads so far, and and a, a couple of them have texted me back to say how happy they were with how it turned out. And that mm. for me, like that's the most important thing. You know, that the guys that who can, that that contributed to the book. Are happy with how it came out and and um, and are are pleased with it and are and are happy to read it, you know. Yeah, Paddy Cullen, part of Heffo's army, and Keevney, the dead eyed dick with the freeze, and it really did get going. Uh, Dublin going again after an indifferent uh, period of time for them. Just another one to pick uh, uh, is uh, the, you, you combine players as well, you know, that recall the one game and Tommy Drum and Kieran Duff. Oh God, do I remember Duff well? Uh, the senior football championship semi final replay of eighty. Three when Dublin in the end thrashed Cork, but it was a high-scoring game. Yeah, and that that game, and so I suppose that's the difficulty when you're doing something like this. If you're picking several players from, if you're talking to several players from the same era, yeah, a lot of the the chances are they might all gravitate towards the one game. And I was was trying to avoid having too many guys talking about the one match. So it was great to have the two lads talking about this one, the the semi-final against. Cork and Porky Cueve and people of a certain age will remember this one it was a scorching hot day Dublin had got out, got out of jail the first day Barney Rock got a late goal for them in Croke Park and Cork pretty much insisted on the replay being down in, in Porky Cueve and sure there was Hill, Hill 17 as Kieran Duff called it behind the goal all the Dublin fans travelled down and there was extra trains put on and the unusual thing about this game was it wasn't on the television um, because this was in an era when I think only the All-Ireland Finals really were shown and the GA were afraid the televising matches might impact on the crowds so this wasn't on TV so huge crowds tra- travelled down from Dublin um, and Tommy Drum and, and Kieran Duff remember it and, and you see the thing about this Jerry, is when you have two guys talking about the one game generally speaking they're, they're going to have completely different recollections of what happened and some lads are going to remember a certain incident in the game or what happened beforehand but Tommy and Kieran both had, you know, very different takes on it. Tommy travelled back up after the game with his wife on the bus. Kieran Duff stayed down with a few of the lads and went for a few pints and ended up in an army barracks, I think, somewhere. So, you know, um, that's the, the beauty of having just two guys talking about a game. If you had maybe more than two, you might get a bit of overlap. But with two fellas, you generally kind of get different takes and different stories. And, and that was that was a particularly good game and a great great story to get. There are so many in here. I want to say to you, congratulations. You've done a wonderful, wonderful job. And if you're listening today and you're a dub supporter or you know someone who's a dub supporter and you're looking for a great gift for Christmas, this is the book for them this year, folks. Dublin, Game of My Life by David Sheehan. I highly, highly recommend it. You've done a wonderful, wonderful job. And you have a copy to give away. We've won, have we, David, yesterday? We do, yeah, yeah. We've won to give away. And here's the difficult question. How many All-Irelands in a row did Dublin celebrate in 2020 when they beat Mayo? How many All-Irelands in a row did the Dubs win to 2020? Answers, please, to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text for a copy of David's book. Well done to you. Happy Christmas. We'll see you Friday anyway for the sport.
we will indeed. Thanks very much. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, David. Yeah, Thanks for joining us on the show. Great book, folks. Back in a moment. Shaking Stevens singing his pension this afternoon on late lunch. Thank you indeed for your messages regarding Storm Barra. Not a massive amount of damage, but a good friend of mine in the Drogheda area sent me a picture of her garden wall. The whole thing blew down today. It did indeed. A lot of work there to put it back together. Brian Hannity's been on. Lovely to hear from you, Brian. Sent me in a video from uh, Beachside in Bettystown about an hour ago on full tide. There wouldn't be a car parked on the beach in Bettystown today for sure. Would you see what's coming in there with the uh, waves? Thanks indeed, Brian. Hope you're keeping well. Nice to hear from you on the show today. Now, David Sheen was on with me. What a brilliant book it is. Dublin, game of my life. How many did the Dubs win in a row? They won six in a row. They did indeed. What an achievement. Will it ever be bettered? Hardly. But then we thought the Kerry one wouldn't be bettered with the four in a row. Anyway, thank you to everybody who sent me in six as the answer. But the book today is going to Colette McCann. Well done to you, Colette. We'll be in touch to make the arrangement. Six in a row for the dubs. You'll enjoy that one, Colette, I'm sure. Now, my artist of the week this week is none other than Prince. And Prince, did you know he starred in the autobiographical movie Purple Rain, which won him an Academy Award for Best Original Song Score. And the accompanying album yielded a number of hits, sold over 14 million copies at that time, and spent, listen to this, 24 weeks topping the US album charts with some run. Pop artist Andy Warhol, did you know this? He was fascinated by Prince, and he painted not one image of him, but 12 which all became part of Warhol's personal collection. Prince's next two albums in 85 and 86 were also both highly successful. Around the World in a Day made number one and Parade got to number two on the album charts. He parted company around then with his band The Revolution, but he put together a new backing ensemble for his next album. It was a double album called Sign of the Times on the back of which he set off on a world tour and he sold out stadiums all over this planet of ours. The 80s came to an end with the album Love Sexy and The Black Album. And there's a story about that album, The Black Album. Because, you see, half a million copies were pressed when Prince said he had an epiphany moment that the album was evil. On his insistence, it was recalled only to be released some years later by Warner Brothers. Today, it just has to be Purple Rain. What a talent Prince was and is and will be because I'll be telling you later in the week how much material there still is unpublished by the great man. Anyway, Purple Rain 
on this day of Storm Barrow. Well, we've had everything else, so I decided to throw the purple rain into the mix as well. Yes, Barrow has been described as a weather bomb. Dunboyne's been bombed. Relax, relax, everything's okay. Monica Hannigan's going to tell us why. Hello, Monica. Hi, Gary, how are you? Bombed in the best possible sense. Bombed in the best (laughs) way. Absolutely fabulous. I'm looking at your Facebook page here. Honest to God, it would just do your heart good, let me say, with what you've done to the village there. Dunboyne Yarn Bombers. Tell our listeners the story about this. Now, I know you've been out on Patrick's Day and other occasions previously, but I think you've topped it all off here. Tell them what you're doing. Um, so, obviously, we started uh, for Paddy's Day last March, and it was a huge success. And uh, was, I think I was on with you about that as mm. well. Um, so, we, over the summer, we did a, a tropical team because we felt a lot of people weren't going to get away. And um, that was beautiful. Now, that went down down really well. We got a great quit in the... Uh, uh, the, you know the tidy towns and in the um, you know the awards for tidy towns, we got a lovely crit for that. Um, so we decided we started on the se- September. Uh, we did a planning meeting on the eighth of September, and um, everybody took a little task. So so there, there's thirty knitters now in the group at this stage. Um, so we've thirty six bollards and we've twenty three trees. Um, so everybody took a bollard or everybody took a bollard and a tree, and um, we started knitting. Um, the team was red anything Christmassy really we left everybody to their own devices and um, sure there were oodles of, of different creativities uh, and ideas um, mounted and um, so it's the culmination of, of that since literally the 8th of September It's a great great job so 30 knitters have been knitting the needles the sparks coming out of them uh, since September time and you've now adorned all those bollards and trees in the village with knitted uh, knitted does everything I, I, I just I don't know where to start I'm looking at a sheep here it looks lovely you have uh, uh, Mary Joseph Jesus donkeys shepherds angels you name it it's all on display in Dunboyne just a quick one did anything yeah. budge with the storm today? No, well, to be honest with you now, we were all in high alert this morning, but because they're all, the tree wraps are all cable tied on. Right. Like we, I wasn't worried about anything other than we dressed one tree, uh, you probably saw it there on the Facebook page, uh, beautifully, we covered completely in red, and then we all knitted these uh, kind of big red balls. But I, I, I didn't even know Storm, Storm Barrow was coming, um, but we cable tied the balls on. And I just checked it about an hour ago now, and they're all still there. So. Ah, relief, relief. Yeah. It's yeah. not taking them. One of them doesn't come off and hit somebody. Ah, <laughs> no, indeed they won't. So you have 30 people in the group. Of all ages, is knitting a popular pastime in the area? Well, to be honest with you, it's kind of a brainstorm of um, uh, Gorka, Suzanne Milligan and myself. Um, um, you know, we've been talking about it for a couple of years because it's a very European thing, you know. And, yeah. um, a lot of Finnish and Danish countries are really seriously into it. So, yeah, it's a mixture. Our youngest our youngest little girl, Katie, is in... Um, She's in, I think she's in TY or she's in Leading Cert. Yeah. And uh, she's our youngest. And then we have um, all of the age groups, uh, you know, it would predominantly be people that would be in a situation that they would be knitting in the evening. Time, yes. You know? Yes. Um, oh, we have, we have one man um, and uh, he's what you call, uh, he's a new recruit. A couple uh, jo- joined the group and they did, you'll see it on the Facebook page, they did the... Um, 
you know, those toy soldiers. Yes. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And they did two, they did uh, two donkeys, which I don't know if I've put them up yet because they're very, they're hysterical. They look like they went via Mexico and had a salsa dance on the way to (laughs) the the village. But they're they're fabulous. And uh, they're in there, you know, they're they're only in their 30s now. And they've embraced it and they absolutely loved it. So really, it's it's a mixture. It's great. It just did me heart good to see it, I have to say. So from T.Y. to Annie Age and one gentleman in the group as well. But hey, tell us the story. What's this woman from Antrim coming down to Dunboyne for? That's right, yeah. Her name is Mary and uh, she contacted us. um, I thought that she was actually from Castanock or somewhere in the area. And I was thinking, oh yeah, absolutely, go ahead. Um, So we gave her the bollard measurements and she said, I'll do a bollard. And then she came on Sunday, and when she introduced herself, she said, you know, my name is Marion. We rediscovered, anyway, her daughter and her husband and their, killed, their children live in Dunboy, but she lives in Antrim. Right. So she, she did a bollard, and she drove down from Antrim on Sunday to put it up, and uh, she did, they had the whole family there, and she did it so that the kids would see her knitting going home from school every day. Ah, oh, my nice. God, isn't that just yeah. touching? I that was such a, such a nice story. But we've had, like, we have, we've interest from... You know, we'd have interest from people outside Dunboyne. It's just the logistics for them is kind of difficult because obviously, you know, to put it up and stuff and get it to people in Dunboyne mm. to put it up. But, um, you know, Castlenock, um, there's a couple of people from Castlenock. We've got uh, a couple of mammies of some of the ladies that are knitting. Their mammies did it too. Um, and then, they, you know, they, they, they'd come into us via the, the daughters, you know, that kind yes. of way. But uh, I'd say it's just going to grow. I mean, you've got to remember that we have a stock now for next year, for already for Paddy's Day, so we can yes. do a little bit more this year, yeah. which means that we can put more up. So we're very lucky in Dunboyne because we have, you know, if you you know Dunboyne, it's got a triangle. You know, it's got a centre. It has, yeah. You know, a very much a centre, and obviously we got this gorgeous big thirty foot tree this year from the county council, um, which they lit and put this beautiful picket fence around. So it really looks very, very festive. Oh, the really. word on the street is Dunboyne is looking at its most splendid in in years and years. Uh, curious, how many balls of wool would have been involved in uh, knitting these wonderful creations? Well, I suppose, you know, if you, if you add it up, um, like, for example, I did the red tree and I think I might have used 15, 20 balls of wool in right. it. Um, so if you work out that there's 20 trees, 23 trees and 10 balls a tree, well, yeah. it wouldn't be 10 because mine was more, but say seven. Mm. Like that's 70 balls and then you've got all the bollards and stuff. So you're talking maybe 300 balls of wool, I'd say, and the rest of it. And the rest as well. Yeah. Are you yeah. open to new members in Dunboyne Yarn Bombers? Absolutely we are. I mean, the thing about it is, is with, the, with COVID the way it is, a lot of people have free time in the evening times and they're not going out as much as they used to. So mm. it's uh, it's something that's, um, it's, it's, it's like, it, you, you only really need to do, like in the in the knitting terms, plain, a plain stitch or a purl stitch to get something nice put together. You don't need to be, you know, kind of a professional knitter in any yeah. Perform to do it. I think the more thing is to introduce the colour and to, to to be a little bit creative. I mean, you probably saw one one lady. There's two. One tree. There's two. The one tree has uh, uh, has a stem and then it kind of branches out into two 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 stems. And she did uh, Santa's legs upside down. I see so them. I'm looking at them. They're lovely. Yeah, she, she knitted to suit the tree. You know. Yes. You can yes. be very creative. Oh, it's just simply wonderful and, and uplifting to see it. I have to say my personal favourite is the sheep. Whoever did the, the sheep. sheep. I love yeah. the sheep and him. And did you see 
SpongeBob. I see SpongeBob there as well. Oh, very important to mention SpongeBob, of course. Yeah. yeah. And very, they have their Christmas kind of colours on them as well, which is great. And then there was the I I, I really have the minion. Uh, I, when we opened the schools opened, we did a kind of a little uh, a yarn a yarn bomb dash they call it, which is that you just put a small kind of um, a small amount somewhere to yes. just please people. And I did. Uh, so with this other lady, Jerry O'Leary, and another lady uh, called Irene, and the three of us did a Minions team uh, for outside the school, and uh, I salvaged the Minions, and I brought them back home, and I put Santa hats and scarves on them, <laughs> and it's gone back up again. Um, it's Santa Minions, so oh, good on you. be very clever about it. Ah, oh, yes. Listen, I just wanted to give it an, an airing today. It well deserves it. Check out Dunboyne. Go and enjoy what the locals have done there. They've done it from the good of their hearts. So, you know, uh, and they're open to new members. Dunboyne Yarn Bombers, check it out on Facebook. All the information is there. Happy Christmas to everybody in Dunboyne. And you too, Jerry. Thanks very much. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's uh, wonderful Monica Hannigan there and a lovely story to finish our show today. Coming up on Wednesday's Late Lunch, we are going to have a laugh with Kunak McGann and Sarah Cassidy. I promise you, Michael Fortune is with us about Christmas traditions and we're going to hear all about the wonderful work uh, of Little Blue Heroes and more besides. All we need is you. One thirty tomorrow. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Have a nice evening. Take care in the wild weather. See you Wednesday for Midweek Late Lunch at 1.30. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drada, Dundalk and Cavan. Order your new Dacia Duster or the all-new Dacia Sendero and Stepway. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 